Hi, my name is Jason Nord. I'm a author and um, hey, yeah, um, I'm not interested in writing just so I can fancy myself and maybe force my daughter to read some of my work. Um, I wanted to get stories out there. So I've explored with different formats. I've, I've written a children's picture book. I've written a documentary um, and recently started write, writing novels too. So starting with Cosmic Creatures, what was the inspiration or the inspirations behind Cosmic Creatures? Yeah, um, there was kind of three influences. So when I first wrote it, I was actually believing I was a screenwriter at the time and was pursuing screenwriting and um, was brainstorming ideas. I really like grounded sci-fi where it kind of takes place on Earth, but there's some kind of fantastical element going on. You know, movies like E.T. or Super 8 or Gremlins and really uh, movies kind of starring teenagers because I believe we all can relate to teenagers really well. And so I was just brainstorming kind of grounded sci-fi ideas. And I was thinking, what if you were walking through the woods and you all of a sudden encountered this new species of creature that no one had seen before? And so I, I noodled with that a little bit. And then started thinking about, well, there couldn't just be one creature, there'd have to be a bunch. What if they were from another planet? And there's lots of movies about like intelligent aliens coming to Earth, but there's nothing out there about their animals coming to Earth. And so that was kind of the inspiration for sort of the outward plot. As far as the character, uh, more inward plot. There was actually a news story about uh, a man who abandoned his son with a note saying, go live with the neighbors. You know, you know, I, I, I failed you as a father and don't look for me. And I was actually, believe it or not, almost on that jury. I had jury duty the same day that that person was going to trial, but I was put on a different case. So but anyways, so I don't know any of the details of that story. There's nothing in Cosmic Creatures that borrows um, to any significant degree um, from that story. Just kind of that headline was really, really got me thinking about, boy, what would it be like to be in that in that child's position? And boy, what would it be like to be in that father's position? So I kind of took that premise and ran with it. Um, and then at the time, I was also reading a lot about near-death experiences and I thought that was pretty fascinating how when really young um, children have near-death experiences, they often are gifted with some with musical abilities, some with mathematical abilities, some with scientific abilities. And I just thought that was super interesting. So I scrambled all those things into Cosmic Creatures. Yeah. And so you're mentioning talking about both the father's point of view and the son's point of view. How did you decide to tell the story from multiple characters' perspectives versus just one? Yeah, I uh, when I converted it into a novel, and I, I felt like there were more perspectives that needed to be felt. I, did, I felt like staying with just the protagonist and living in their mind for the whole story wasn't going to give it enough momentum. And I, I always feel like if you can switch perspectives, you can gain momentum in, in, when you're storytelling. And I think there are also um, events that take place outside of what the main character is doing. So for example, um, the father and son go their separate ways. So obviously you wanna be checking in on both. So you you want to be jumping from Kale's perspective to Russell's perspective. And, and there's a few other perspectives involved as well. So I think it helps to, to create momentum in storytelling, but also to be quite honest, I'm a little bit of a rookie at novel writing <laughs> and um, 
that was my first take on how to how to tackle it. What deeper themes do you think can be found in cosmic creatures that are going beyond sort of that main storyline of these creatures coming to Earth? Right. Yeah. Because um, if it was just about the the surface story, you know, it wouldn't be very interesting and it wouldn't be as relatable. So to me, um, the the real theme of cosmic creatures is overcoming your insecurities. You know, I think a lot of us have different gifts. Um, you know, some of some people are super talented, incredibly talented, but uh, the rest of us, you know, we we all have some skills and some gifts and some abilities, even if they're not great and outstanding. You know, for me, you know, I feel like I do have a knack for writing and storytelling. And but I think everybody has a sense of insecurity, like, oh, I could never write a movie, or I could never write a novel, or you know, I could never um, put myself out there, and. So I thought it was really interesting. You know, Kale is a really gifted kid. He's got so many things that he should be, um, you know, very proud of and really leaning into. And yet he's completely insecure and he considers all those gifts to be a curse. And so the real story of Cosmic Creatures is as following Kale's journey to see if he can finally embrace who he is and what he could do. And, uh, and that's the adventure we're on as much as anything. Yeah, absolutely. So a big question that writers face when they're telling a story is the question of why now? How do you think that the themes discussed in Cosmic Creatures uh, tie into broader conversations, conversations that regular listeners might be having? Oh, boy. Um, well, to some degree, I think overcoming insecurity is really timeless. Uh, but I I almost dare say that it's even more poignant now as we've gone kind of through this pandemic recently where all of a sudden our normal lives all of a sudden got turned upside down. And now all of a sudden we have to be more introspective with ourselves. And a lot of us, you know, I've, I've gone from going to the office five days a week to now only going to the office one day a week and working from home. And so I think the more, and even with social media, you know, when I was a kid, if you wanted to connect with friends, you actually had to go outside and hop on a bicycle and go somewhere. Today, you know, with social media and everything, I think um, even though we can communicate as much as ever, we are more physically isolated more than ever. So I think um, whenever you're physically isolated, I think you can um, feel more insecure and so kind of uh, coming to terms with who you are and, and um, gaining confidence and putting yourself out there um, in a more and more isolated world, I think, makes it a very timely story. Yeah, perfect. And I think that ties into another question that I have about the technology in the story. Uh, so when you were writing Cosmic Creatures, what was the role technology played uh, and how did it really affect the characters and their interactions, if any? Uh, yeah, well, one of the kind of the the real scientific element behind that makes the whole um, plot happen is, is really so, somewhat timely because it was in it was just in 2012, and I actually started writing this I think in 2016. And when I first started writing this, I thought, well, this is too big of a leap. There's no way they could advance this technology this quickly in four years. But now it's later, so now it's much more reasonable. You know, in 2012. The, you know, they built this giant um, large hadron collider under the border of Switzerland and France, and they tried to smash particles into each other. And they found that this the Higgs boson particle, which had only been theorized, was actually real. And the Higgs boson particle is what gives everything mass. Um, so without that particle, 
there would be no mass. We would all just, I don't know what we would be. And that was a really interesting thought was, well, what, what would happen if there was no mass? And so um, I think the idea of, you know, scientists escalating and, and fast-tracking that kind of uh, scientific discovery gave me kind of the inspiration to think, well, you know, maybe maybe we don't have to travel physically in a spaceship to go far away. Maybe um, if you take mass out of the equation, maybe um, you can slip through the veil of time and space more easily. And um, so that was kind of, I, and I'm no um, physics expert or anything. Um, I was able to learn enough to make the story plausible. <laughs> Um, but it did, did, did do a bunch of research down that, that, uh, pathway. And I'm sure the real physics, um, nerds out there will be like, this is ridiculous. And <laughs> what about the element of technology where Kale is described as having no cell phone? Oh yeah. That, that was, uh, kind of important to me is in today's age, we kind of live so much of our lives through a cell phone, but I don't think that's very interesting. You know, certainly when I started as from a cinematic perspective, I didn't want it to see a movie with kids on their cell phones all the time. And and when I'm reading a book, I don't want to read about necessarily about, you know, what they're talking about on their cell phones. And so Kale being uh, poor, not every kid has a cell phone. Um, you know, people coming from poor families, they don't necessarily have cell phones. And for those characters that do do have cell phones, I didn't want that to be part of the storytelling. I wanted, you know, if you're going to put yourself out there, you have to remove yourself from that kind of thing. So it was, uh, it was nice that in the story, I was able to kind of delete the cell phones at some point and, um, and let these characters live in the real world, uh, including real creatures from other planets. Uh, I, I just felt like that was a good choice. It, um, Puts you into the story more, I think, when you disengage from technology. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so going back to the idea of you wrote this as a screenplay and as a novel, what would you say you like about Spark's episodic audio format? Because this is sort of a, a new genre that the entertainment industry is establishing. Yeah, I, you know, at first I was, you know, I was like, well, what is this now? And, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, this is great. This is really perfect. Um, because I think um, for myself, I don't actually read enough because I, the idea of sitting down with a book, I know I'm not going to be able to put it down and then I'm going to be up till 3 a.m. reading. And it takes me, I'm not the fastest reader in the world. So who's got time to invest like, you know, a day and a half to read a book? Or, you know, who wants to stay up till 4 a.m. because they can't put their book down a lot? I mean, that's always nice. But um, it's a commitment to read a novel uh, time-wise. And, and whereas a movie, you know, just like two hours and it's over, that's that can be really nice, too. But this idea, I mean, all of us have kind of fallen in love with, um, you know, Netflix series. And to me, this is just the book version of, of you know, Netflix series. It's It's the whole podcast environment. And being able to digest a book in episodes is is really fantastic because you don't have to dedicate 14 hours to start. You know, like even an audiobook can be 9, 10, 12 hours. And who's got time to necessarily give all their attention to something for 9 or 10 hours, you know, unless you're driving across the country or something. So to be able to absorb a story in episodes, you know, of a half hour, 40 minutes, whatever they turn out to be, and to be able to have a series that you're engaged in and get, you know, regular doses of that. Or even if you want to wait till the end and binge it, or it just, it's, it feels like that's the way people want to consume media these days. And it doesn't have to be limited to TV series. It can be, 
uh, that's to me is seems like a great way to deliver books and novels and and other stories too. So I, I love it. Good. I'm glad to hear that for one. Uh, but yeah. did you encounter challenges, uh, specific sort of unique advantages possibly about specifically adapting this work to episodes? Because that is breaking down a full work, a full body of work into how do we create mini arcs per episode? Yeah, that, that was a challenge. And I think it actually was great for me because of the strengths and weaknesses of my writing and where I came from in screenwriting and, and moving into novels, because those are two totally different formats. And you want what, what the strengths of a movie are is where everything is visual and you can't be inside the mind of a character. You're all, you know, you're showing, not telling versus a novel where you can live endlessly in the mind of a character if you want to. I, I kind of struggled with that. I like fast pace. I like showing more than telling. I like I don't like to necessarily live in their mind. I like to show what they're engaged in. And so this idea of creating episodes where um, you're not going to dwell in the prose like you would in a novel, where you're going to keep the action going because you want to experience a nice arc in each episode. And I found that I tend to have a structure that I follow when I craft my stories. And it felt like, um, you know, they say that every story is a three-act structure. I don't believe that at all. I think that's just saying stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it's kind of like, well, yeah. But to me, there are um, any, more like 16 sections of a good story. And so to me, it, it just kind of fell into place really. I mean, sometimes it was a little bit difficult to find the the proper a starting point and to shuffle things around a little bit. But I already felt like the good pieces of a hero's journey fall neatly into those episodes. And so it it wasn't as challenging. It I just kind of fit into my screenwriter tries to write a novel. Um, it just worked, it worked really well into that that format. Yeah. And so that answers my question about how you decided on the pacing of your narrative. Uh, but were there specific moments that you wanted to emphasize or to build tension around? Yeah, um, you always want to, uh, <laughs> the, one of my philosophies is you always want to torture your characters and, you know, put them through the ringer, but you can't do that for like 40 minutes straight in terms of like movie length or in terms of a novel, you're not going to have them face the, the same challenge for like 10 chapters or something like that. So you're continually throwing um, new things at them. So I like that idea of, you know, what's Kale facing right now? What's Russell facing right now? What are the other characters facing right now? Give you a dose of each of the perspectives in every episode and keep the story moving, but really to throw, you know, individual little uh, challenges at each of them all throughout the way. Yeah, I really like uh, moving through that quickly, you know, rather than, um, I've never been kind of a, a philosophical person who loves to live in the, the beautiful prose. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's get going. Let's get, what's, what happens next? So let's get right to the action. Yes. Yeah. Can you describe sort of, cause this ties into it, but the, the world building process for cosmic creatures, how you developed the, the setting and the atmosphere. Yeah. It's, um, you know, you really think about where should this be set and e even things like, well, I, do, I don't want this to be set in a populated area because I, I you know, it, it feels like I want to be out in the woods. I want to be um, isolated, but at the same time, 
that you wonder how practical that is. So I really wanted this to be kind of in near a small town, somewhere where, um, you know, a scientific facility um, that would be engaged in this kind of activity could be located um, somewhere where there could be ramifications that impact a lot of people. But I really wanted the characters to be more isolated than that. So it's kind of set um, near a small town, but kind of on the fringes, out in the valley, out in the forest. And so I really thought a lot about that, uh, that setting. But I also wanted to make it visually interesting. Uh, you know, even though this isn't uh, a movie or a TV series or anything like that, it, it's still I wanted it to be really visual in your mind. So I thought a lot about the character, the animal designs and the creature designs and and kind of building that world. And I'm far from a great designer. I always kind of figured, well, someday someone with some real talent will flesh these creatures out better than I can. Giving them bioluminescence and, you know, being out in the, in the middle of the forest in the dark with creatures that glow, I felt created a great environment that um, you could real, really feel as you're hearing the story. Uh, and you can really imagine what that would be like when you're facing something you've never seen before um, coming your way and you don't know if it's friendly or if it's going to kill you. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so how would you say uh, these characters and these creatures that you conceived of in your mind compared to what Meredith produced, uh, the illustrator? Oh yeah, she's she's created um, some wonderful artwork. Um, I've really loved seeing that, and it and it is a little different than what I uh, the pictures that I painted in my mind. And I imagine it's going to be different than the pictures that any person um, hearing this story is going to see in their minds. And that's perfectly okay, right? And that's I honestly tried to avoid over describing every creature because I didn't want to necessarily be so specific that. You have to see it the way I'm seeing it. Um, you know, if, if you want to see it in your own way, that's great. And so Meredith did some artwork that I wasn't really expecting, but I thought it was really cool. And I was like, oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, I think, um, you know, like music or like artwork, um, you just have to be able to see it in your mind. And I think my job is just to plant enough seeds for you to flush out that picture um, and enjoy what you're seeing. And speaking of fleshing out that picture... Can you walk me through a, a certain character of your choice in the story where this was your initial idea and how did they end up over here? What was that sort of character arc in conceiving who they are? You know, what, one of the things I I struggled with was a lot was what to do with Russell, the father, and what his journey would be like. Because you could potentially hate him for, what, for the things that he's done, but I didn't want that to be the case. I wanted him to be also be sympathetic. So, and then again, you need to challenge your characters. You need to put them through an arc um, and you need them to grow and learn. So I really had to walk a fine line. I didn't really, and I really struggled with how to go about it. I didn't have a great picture when I first started. Oh, well, this will be Russell's arc. But kind of as I went along, this the, the delicate dance between he's awful, but he's, but he's a good person Mm -hmm. um, making you love them on one hand and hate them on the other hand. Um, it's, it's kind of a difficult balance. In fact, um, one of my editors, um, hates this character. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I, but other people who've read it really like his character. So hopefully the edits have worked. <laughs> and that's the definition of a well-rounded character, someone that people can either relate to or they can despise, but still accept that they have both good and bad qualities because every person yeah. like you were saying when they read a book they picture it differently in their mind 
Right. Yeah. And um, and I think the most important thing about storytelling is feeling something. And it's to me, if you hate one of my characters, that's great. You felt the motion. <laughs> you felt something taking in a story and it felt real to you. Um, so whether you hate them or love them, it's, it's far better than not caring and to having a very vanilla character doing very vanilla things. So feel yes. free to hate them if you like. Because it means that you're feeling something. That, that's right. So in terms of genre, where would you place cosmic creatures and what elements of that genre are particularly important to the story? Hmm. I, you know, I would put it in the, you know, my, unfortunately my, my reference and my comparables is so much suck in the screenwriting world. I, I consider it to be a good old fashioned sci-fi adventure, kind of the the Steven Spielberg Amblin Entertainment the variety of, you know, we're all living in our teenage selves, experiencing the story where we're, we're facing something that is incredible and we're all exploring it and dealing with it together, but we're all also dealing with our own insecurities and working our way through that too. So sometimes I, I hate to say, well, it's a sci-fi picture because, and then people hear alien animals and they're like, oh, I'm not into sci-fi, but it's really a very grounded drama as much as it is. It's not that sci-fi. Um, it's just got um, sci-fi elements, and it's a very human story, I think. And I know that our readers and listeners will absolutely enjoy that part. But what do you hope that they're going to take away from Cosmic Creatures on more intellectual level? Because we ta we've talked about the emotional level, but all that research you've put into Cosmic Creatures. Yeah, I think I think I would like people to think about, you know, think more about what is the the world and the universe really like and what do we as humans currently understand and what it really is possible you know i think the more i've learned about different veins of physics like right now with the the new telescope that they've put out into space the james webb telescope i think they're starting to realize oh wait maybe our theories are all wrong about how the, the universe began and how it's expanding and this idea that you know how does the universe really work what are there other dimensions or is is time travel possible or you know what is our future what do we have in store for us as human beings are we ever going to is something like cosmic creatures ever going to be truly plausible where we can remotely um experience other planets or other dimensions and have them interact with our world i think those are interesting things to think about in the big scheme of things and then also what's ethical if something like capturing um, something from uh, other parts of the universe what really was possible, what are our responsibilities and what are the dangers of that? Um, could doing something like that bring the next pandemic or bring uh, biocontamination to our planet and destroy our world? So yeah, I think um, it might you know create some curiosities about some of those topics to think about you know, where, where we're headed and, and what science is, has in store for us next. Going back to the sources that you had to research for Cosmic Creatures, uh, what sources in particular did you find the most valuable as coming from a non-physics background? Uh, sure, yeah. Well, there was um, one book this um, scientist wrote about near-death experiences that was really fascinating. And, and I think even in that book, she said the only reason why she was writing the book is because she had her own near-death experience. Um, and so that was really fun research to look into. I've looked into that a lot. Uh, another uh, subject that I really explored a lot was the idea of infrasound, which is really fascinating. It's we hear at different hertz levels. We hear, I think, from like 20 hertz to like 40 hertz is the range of human hearing. 
Um, and anything below that range, um, we can't hear, but we can experience. And so like there's a lot of animals that use infrasound, like a tiger, for example. If you ever go to a zoo and a tiger roars and all of a sudden you feel something, you feel scared, you know, you feel, you just really feel it, you feel stunned, that's infrasound hitting you. And it can even like, um, if anybody is gets migraines at their workplace, HVAC equipment can put out infrasound and really make people feel ill. You know, there's been sick offices where people are always getting sick because their HVAC is generating this infrasound. And so I do talk about infrasound in a couple of different stories that I've written, including cosmic creatures. Um, my daughter yells at me for not reading enough fiction. I like to read a lot of the nonfiction about things like infrasound and near-death experiences and story structure and all those kind of things. Um, those are the fun things I think can really enrich a story is if you can bring these like weird things you've read, you know, like reading about the Higgs boson thing and reading about, and somehow all that finds its way into your story and it all works. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of fun to explore, you know, random subjects and figure out how to work them into your story. And I, sometimes I look at that as a challenge too. It's like, like I remember when I was in college writing my um, final exams, I would go into the exam with a weird word in my head and try and work that into my, my essay answers. Um, you know, and so like I ran into a professor once at a Star Trek movie and the next day I took his final and I'm like, I got to work a Star Trek reference into this final. So sometimes it's, it's, um, figuring out how you can work different weird things into your story is just kind of fun for the author too. Otherwise, if your world is too narrow, you know, if you can't broaden it out with um, different elements, then it can feel a little contrived, I think. So it's nice to bring in a variety of random things. So going back to your, your reference base for how you developed Cosmic Creatures and the sort of genre you place it in, how did you go about balancing creating a unique and original story while still incorporating those familiar sci-fi drama elements? Yeah. Um, you can sometimes, yeah, you can hit tropes, right? If when you're doing something. And so that's why it, it felt important to me for it to be, I didn't want to put too much emphasis on the outward storytelling. You know, I wanted it to be more a human story about real people um, and characters dealing with real kind of emotional issues and, and insecurities and those types of things. Because I think in that context, um, you can never tell too many stories that are too similar because every person is unique. You know, every character is unique. The things that they're dealing with are unique. There aren't stories about out there really about um, insecure child geniuses who are capable of incredible things who run into alien animals and have to deal with them and, and clean up the, the mess that maybe they've created. So I, I didn't really, I didn't really have too many concerns about the idea of taking a it's all storytelling follows a lot of the same you know story elements and so i wasn't ever really too concerned about you know hitting tropes or hitting um or being duplicative of other works because i just um you know i think i just really put myself in the character's shoes uh and wondered what would life be like if you were in those shoes and and try to flush that out and so Someone could try to write the exact same story on the exact same premise and deliver an entirely different work. And I think that would be great. So uh, that's, to me, the, the fun of storytelling is you're never going to run out of stories to tell. Tell me more about you as a storyteller. What kinds of stories do you like to write? What would you say your strengths are? And 
just overall what's been what got you into storytelling and what's going to keep you going hey yeah um well i think what really got me into storytelling was i really loved movies and um I had a close friend, we would talk about movies all the time, and we would always say that we were going to write a movie together. And um, finally, one day, my buddy got angry at me and he said, look, we can't just talk about this. We're either going to do this or not. So we signed up for some training, we took some classes, and then we started writing. And um, And I actually really loved it. I loved the left brain, right brain, writing smart things. Um, and the story structure and designing plots and exploring elements and the sort of um, nerdy design of writing. And then the the more artistic side of, you know, putting the words, putting cool words together and, and making things sound great and, and being compelling. So this, this balance of the, um, the kind of the intelligent nerdy side of me, and then the, the more artistic creative side of me, it was a perfect format for me. So I loved that format of storytelling, but um, I kind of came to realize that theoretically you can break into Hollywood and write stories, and people do, but there's something like 75,000 scripts written every year for like, and only maybe seven or eight original um, movies get made. Even though I'm kind of naturally an introvert, I really have liked storytelling. I really like getting people's attention and being able to tell them something that you know makes them excited or laugh or or uh, to enjoy something. So I've always really had a knack for storytelling, and I've always wanted a creative outlet. So yeah, storytelling kind of gives me joy, and I think my strengths as a writer are uh, I think I'm good with pace, and I think I'm imaginative and good with story structure. Kind of those were the traits that I learned by starting out with screenwriting is really thinking visual, really keeping the pace going, uh, really transitioning from one scene or one chapter to the next in a really effective, powerful way. So my weaknesses, I would say I'm not a prose writer. I don't care if there's dew on the grass in the morning or the color of the sunset. It's just not interesting to me. And I'm not the most experienced novel writer to know, you know, the best way to deliver. And then, so again, that's where I love this um, Spark Media format of the episodic um, audio format, where it really kind of blends skill sets together. So, so I think, and I, I think I also have a knack for um, dialogue. I've spent a lot of time over the years um, having my works read by other readers and also giving other writers feedback on their writing. I think writing good dialogue that feels authentic and making sure your characters are saying what they would really say and not just saying what you want them to say because you've got a great idea you're steering towards. I think, yeah, the dialogue and the pacing, yeah, are all my strengths. And um, uh, I'm not very fanciful or don't write the best prose. So, well, that's perfectly okay because it's your voice that's coming through on the pages. So you were kind of alluding to this, but walk me through your writing process. How does it get from an idea in your head to the story we're going to hear? Yeah. um, So whenever I get an idea for a story, um, I hate outlining. I I just can't stand outlining. I tried the index cards. I tried, you know, writing it on paper. I just absolutely hate outlining. I'm a fly by the seat of my pants writer. But I won't start flying by the seat of my pants until I know which direction I'm headed. So the way I look at it is like if I was going to travel across the country, I would identify, you know, six or seven places that I knew I had to stop. 
And then I would just hop in the car and I wouldn't, you know, plan every stop in on what day at what time, what gas station am I going to stop at? I just hop in the car and go. So I really do spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, what are those key story points and what do I, where do I need my character to be at those points? And how is the story going to resolve itself? And what are the internal challenges and what are the external challenges and what are the ways that, um, you know, who are the the mentors that they encounter along the way and who are the protagonists they encounter along the way? I really, really want exciting things to happen. It's kind of um, one of the more sadistic things about being a writer that's kind of fun is thinking, how can I really torture my character? Like, what would just be awful to occur next and and to throw that at them that's what makes for a good story and so one of the things i did is i started researching what everybody's what all the experts think is the right format for storytelling right like so there's the hero's journey that a lot of people following there's the three act structure you know yeah beginning middle and end and then there are some people who say there's eight acts and there are some people that say, no, there's really six acts and some people have 12 acts. And so what I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what are those key story points? Well, and that, you know, and I wanted to learn every rule and figure out which ones are allowed to be broken or not and came to realize that they all can be broken, <laughs> but they're rules, quote unquote rules for a reason because they're effective and because they're poignant and they really are helpful. Yeah, so basically, I really care about story points. I try to map those out, and then I fly by the seat of my pants. And while you're writing, do you have the ending in mind? Do you come up with the ending from the very beginning? You know where exactly where the story is going. Yeah, I do. Um, but but I don't put that in cement, right? Like, Because there's always room, since I am more of a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants writer, there's always room to like change directions. And I also strongly believe that no matter what format you're writing, rewriting is writing. Um, one of the most important things, mo the, the biggest piece of advice I have for any writer is give yourself permission to write crap. Because the first draft of anything is not worth a dang. I think the only reason why people get writer's block is because they expect it to be good and they don't know how to make it good right away. Um, and if you just if you just realize all you have to do is start writing um, and it's OK if it's garbage because you'll make it better. You know, like Cosmic Creatures has probably been, you know, I haven't counted and I haven't rewritten everything from beginning to end. But there are some scenes in Cosmic Creatures that have probably been rewritten, I don't know, 150 times. So everything's been rewritten at least 10 times, probably, because it's been a work that's taken years. You know, first it was a screenplay a lot really crappy screenplay and then it got better and better and better and, and then it became a book yeah i forget the question but um yeah well, I just, it's uh, exactly what i've heard is the first draft is the author or the writer telling themselves the story the second mm -hmm. and all subsequent drafts are telling somebody else but that first draft is just for you so you can see what it what's going to happen right right yeah get the story out there and then you can always find ways to make it better if you think about it like if you're making a painting or, or if you're making a sculpture, first you need to get, you know, the right colors and the right spots or the right shapes. But the final product is going to have all those fine details that you really work into it. And, you know, like figuring out, you know, this, this chapter is running too long. I need to get it out of it now. Now I'm just, you know, spending time that I don't need to spend figuring out when to end a scene, when to start a scene or when to get into a chapter or when to get out of a chapter, cutting that dead weight. You know, and then thinking of new ideas, things that you didn't think of the first time through, 
you know, it's like, oh, well, what if we did this here? And um, yeah, so there's a lot of things you can do. And even sometimes it's major work. Sometimes it's like, you know, I've got these three characters, but this story would be so much more efficient if it was just one. And then all of a sudden you got a lot of work to do. But yeah, it's just um, figuring all those things out. It's, it, I think it's what makes storytelling fun. I think it's what uh, makes writing fun. It, it, it does make it a little frustrating because you want to have a product done quickly. But yeah, it's still fun to keep going and rewriting. And, and if you embrace that, you'll enjoy it. That's really good to hear. So would you say that there are any Easter eggs, hidden symbols that you've put in cosmic creatures that only you would find relevant because it's your own personal Easter egg that you've stuck in your work? Uh, yeah, I do have one, um, and it might not be amazing to a lot of people, but one of the things I struggled with was I didn't want a bunch of corny-sounding names for my characters. So I thought, well, what if I picked something in the real world and just picked like a real set of names that really exist together in the real world? Then I'll have a kind of a nice, um, it won't be just a bunch of, well, the author thought of these dorky names. And so I'm a big Creighton basketball fan. I graduated from Creighton University. And so almost all of the names of, of the characters in the screenplay are named after a Creighton basketball player uh, or someone in the Creighton um, coaching staff or in the front office. Or it was just a fun little Easter egg. If you graduated from Creighton University and you like their basketball team, you'll be like, hey, what's going on here? That's so. awesome. And that is exactly the definition of an author's Easter egg. Yeah. So looking at the whole process overall, what would you say was the biggest challenge that you faced? Um, boy, for me, the biggest challenge was taking it more to the novel format and really understanding how much can I live in my character's head? How much do I need to revert to just showing, you know, like the showing, not telling. Because when I got permission to go into their head, it was like, wow, I can do this now. I can just tell you what he's thinking. I don't have to figure out some weird way to show you what he's thinking. This is incredible. But then you can overdo it. You know, you can be like, I don't, you, you don't want the whole story, you know, just being told what someone's thinking. Um, I think navigating that balance of how much to kind of stick with the showing and telling versus what they're thinking and feeling. Um, and when you hit a really tough emotional scene, how much do you dwell on that? How much do you describe that versus how much do you, do you just get out of it? Um, those are some of my challenges, I think, to figure out what's the right amount of um, of lingering in someone's thoughts and in their heart and um, versus getting away from it. And that'll be the emotional impact that the audience is going to listen to. Yeah. So I'm gonna ask you one last question. How do you envision the future of cosmic creatures? Are there potential sequels or spinoffs in the works? Or is it a, a one and done, this is Kale's story? Um, that's a great question. I've thought about that a little bit. Um, I don't have any immediate plans or any immediate thoughts about what could be next. But certainly, um, Kale's could have a broader journey ahead. And I also think if um, the technology that, that he's uncovered, if you could really transport yourself essentially to other places because you can remove your mass and re-engage the Higgs boson field elsewhere. There's certainly the opportunity to write the human beings on the other planet story rather than just the other animals on our planet story. Yeah, there's definitely those possibilities, but I don't currently have designs on a, on a sequel. But maybe if uh, we get good feedback, maybe we'll get to work. The, the door is always open. Yep. 
All right. Well, that is all the questions I have, but I want to thank you again for sitting down and just answering questions about cosmic creatures, about your process. And I'm really excited for our listeners to hear it. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, I hope people enjoy it. And um, if you love it, great. My work is done. <laughs>